It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, Canada and hockey fans in the United States and Newfoundland. It's behind the Maple Leaf net, Detroit crowding them. Back to Boyle at the blue line, he fakes a shot, throws one in front, and Kennedy intercepted and shoots it away. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Pucks and Cups. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday, and Canadian History X, which releases every single Wednesday and Saturday. I do all these podcasts full-time. The writing, the research, everything. So, every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I'll make sure I thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bairdo37. You can also find my YouTube channel where I have weekly videos about Canadian history. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash Canadian History X. Remember, that's E-H-X. And you can also find my website where I have about 700 articles all about Canadian history. Just go to canadaehx.com. When the Hockey Hall of Fame was established in 1945, one man who was enshrined was a person who had one eye, who had only played professional hockey for three years, and had been dead for three decades. His name was Frank McGee, and his career was short but legendary, and his death tragic considering what could have been. McGee was born on November 4, 1882 to a very prominent family. His uncle, Thomas Darcy McGee, was a father of Confederation, and his father, John Joseph McGee, was a clerk at the Privy Council. One of nine children born to John and Elizabeth McGee, the family's children were very athletic. Frank's brother Jim would go on to captain the Ottawa Football Club and play for the Ottawa Silver 7 before he died suddenly on May 14, 1904, two days before his birthday in a riding accident. Following his schooling, McGee began to work for the Department of Indian Affairs, but while he had a good-paying job, his true love was sports. He did well in lacrosse and rugby, but it was hockey that he was meant to play. McGee would be mentioned in the Ottawa Journal for his play on the football field, stating, quote, Frank McGee's play was one of the features of the match. Things came McGee's way on Saturday, and when they were not, he was looking for work and he did everything without a miss. McGee handled the ball more than anybody on the field, end quote. His future career was nearly ended before it began when at the age of 18 he suffered a terrible eye injury in an amateur game while playing for the Canadian Pacific Railway team on March 21, 1900. A lifted puck had hit him in the eye and he would lose the eye in the process. The Montreal Gazette would report, quote, As a result of an injury to an eye received in a hockey match two weeks ago, Frank McGee, the dashing forward of the Aberdeens and a crack halfback of the Rough Riders football team, will not be able to play again. 
He'd been under skillful treatment ever since the eye was injured, but it is not able to see. End quote. Still wanting to be on the ice, McGee would become a referee. And despite the fact he was missing an eye, he proved to be a good referee with the Ottawa Citizen praising him, stating, quote, Frank McGee, who acted as referee, gave every satisfaction and was quite impartial. End quote. That may have been the end of it, but in 1903, McGee found he missed playing hockey so much that he wanted to get back on the ice. He would join the Ottawa Hockey Club, soon to be called the Ottawa Silver 7, one of the greatest teams in hockey history. It would begin practicing with the team in January of that year, and it seemed fans were happy to see him on the ice. The Winnipeg Tribune would report, quote, Frank McGee is out practicing with the Ottawa Hockey Club, and the fans at the Capitol are proportionally pleased. Frank gave promise of proving one of the best in the business, but two years ago he had the misfortune to suffer an injury to one of his eyes, which distracted a good deal from his ability on the ice. He is, however, still a swift and dangerous forward. End quote. At the time, McGee was the youngest player on the team, and he stood 5 foot 6 inches at a time when the sport was extremely brutal on the ice. Despite his age and small stature, he quickly excelled. In his first game in Ottawa, he scored six goals. The Ottawa Citizen would write, quote, It was McGee's first appearance as a senior hockeyist, and he showed that he was qualified to stay with the finest in the land and finish strong. Frank was at center, and he invariably got the better of the faceoff. He followed up fast and was always in the vicinity of the puck. End quote. By the time the season was done, he had 14 goals in six games and finished second in league scoring. McGee seemed to be able to score goals at will. At least eight times in his career, he would score more than five goals a game. On January 16, 1905, in a game against the Dawson City Nuggets, he scored 14 goals, including eight goals in a row in nine minutes. I covered the Dawson City Nuggets story a few weeks ago, so go check it out. McGee had been limited to one goal the previous game, and players on the Dawson City team said he was not as good as they had heard. McGee responded with that record-setting number of goals, which is by far the most ever scored by a single player in a Stanley Cup game. McGee's highest goal total in a single regular season game was March 3, 1906, when he scored eight goals against the Montreal Hockey Club. Frank Patrick would say of McGee, quote, He was even better than they say he was. He had everything, speed, stick-handling, scoring ability, and he was a punishing checker. He was strongly built but beautifully proportioned, and he had an almost animal rhythm. End quote. Billy Grant, the sports editor of the Calgary News-Telegram, would describe McGee and his first sight of him, stating, quote, I heard a strange clatter of steel as the Ottawa players clambered down the steps from the dressing room. Voices began to hum, then a wild roar of applause and thousands of excited voices began to hum, in a wild roar of applause and thousands of excited voices wildly shouting McGee, 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 end quote. Grant would continue on writing of his surprise and meeting McGee, stating, quote, I asked which one was McGee and suddenly drew in my breath as my companion pointed to a fair-haired, blue-eyed, frail-looking stripling who had come down fast. His hair was perfectly parted as though he had stepped out of the parlor. His spotless white pants were creased to a knife-like edge. His boots had been polished, his skates glistened in the glare of the arc lamps, and his complexion, that was what magnetized my attention, seemed as pink as a child's, end quote. Grant would then meet McGee, shaking his hand, and then watched as he dominated the ice. He would write, quote, I saw him seize the pocket center, skate in with the speed of a prairie cyclone and shoot. I saw him back check, dodge here and there, flash from side to side, stick-handle his way through a knot of struggling players, slap the puck into the open net and go down in a heap as he did so. Then I ceased to wonder why this boyish doll-like hockey star was the idol of the crowd. I too joined in the hysterical shouting for Frank McGee, the world's greatest hockey player. End quote. 
With the Ottawa Silver 7, a team I covered last season, McGee was just one of a group of legendary players. The team included future Hall of Fame inductees Alf Smith, Harry Westwick, Billy Gilmore, and Tommy Smith. During the 1906 season, McGee scored an astounding 28 goals in seven games. In two playoff games against Queen's University, he had six goals followed by nine goals in two games against Smith Falls. McGee was well known on the team for his practical jokes, often at the expense of his teammates. One such incident occurred when the Ottawa Silver 7 were dining with Governor General Lord Minto to commemorate winning the Stanley Cup. McGee, who knew the etiquette of Ottawa society, was the only one on the team that had been exposed to high society. He told his teammates to copy whatever he did. When the finger bowls arrived, McGee picked his up and began to slurp from the finger bowl, which his teammates copied him. Governor General, seeing this, apparently decided it was appropriate to drink from his own finger bowl as well. From 1903 to 1906, the years that McGee played for Ottawa, he won the Stanley Cup each year and scored 63 goals in 22 Stanley Cup games. After the Montreal Wanderers claimed the Stanley Cup in a challenge game in 1906, McGee chose to retire from the game at the age of only 23. One reason for this was that his government position did not allow him to travel, and the job paid him better than his hockey job did. The Ottawa Journal would report, quote, At the close of the season, McGee retired, and although he received some of the most tempting offers ever made to puck chasers, he declined to return to the game, end quote. Over the course of his career, amounting to only 45 games, he scored 135 goals. McGee would continue to work for the government until the outbreak of the First World War. During those years, he spent his time playing golf at the Royal Ottawa Golf Club and curled through the winter. He would soon enlist with the Duke of Cornwall's own rifles, serving as lieutenant in the 21st Infantry Battalion. And it's not known how McGee was able to enlist with only one eye. The medical officer wrote that he could see the required distance with either eye, which was not true. According to Frank Charles McGee, the nephew of McGee, his uncle had tricked the doctor. When the doctor asked him to cover one eye and read the chart, he covered his blind eye. When he was asked to cover the other eye, he simply switched hands and covered his blind eye again. Upon his enlistment, the Ottawa Journal would report, quote, The most famous hockey player that ever wore the red, white, and black barber pole sweater of the Ottawa Hockey Club had enlisted, should be interested to know that the fair-haired center was perhaps the only hockey player that opposing teams dreaded during every minute he was on the ice. End quote. Enlisting in October of 1914, McGee would be assigned to the 43rd Battalion and was expected to be one of the first Canadians to be called up to the front lines. In January of 1915, McGee was playing hockey for the 21st Battalion. The Winnipeg Tribune would write, quote, Lieutenant McGee has lost but little of his cunning and was the center of attention. End quote. In December of 1915, the armored car he was in was hit by a shell, causing McGee to suffer a severe knee injury. He would recover quickly from it, according to the news reports, and McGee would leave the military hospital in February and was sent to Wales to a convalescent home in order to recover before he returned to the front lines. After his time in England to recover from the knee injury, he was then given the option of a post away from the fighting, but he chose to return to his battalion at the front. He stated in a letter home on September 4th that he wanted to be part of the big push with his old battalion. It would be a fateful decision. He would arrive back in the trenches in August 1916 during the Battle of the Somme. On September 16, 1916, he was killed near Corselette. His body would never be found, and his death would be written about in newspapers across Canada. An article in the Ottawa Journal about the death of McGee stated, quote, The death of Captain Frank McGee removes one of the greatest athletes Canada has ever produced. 
As a hockey player, he was held by many to have been the greatest the game ever produced. End quote. The article would continue, quote, Once again, there have been brought home with the gripping grief and pain reality the present conflict of nations. It is doubtful if the loss of any of the splendid young Ottawans who have fallen at the front since the outbreak of war has occasioned such keen regret as the late Frank McGee. Frank McGee dead, thousands of Ottawans knew him. Few seemed able to believe that he had given up his life in the struggle for freedom. End quote. In 1945, McGee was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, one of the original nine players to be inducted. In 1950, the Ottawa Silver Seven and the subsequent Ottawa Senators were voted the best team of the first half of the 20th century. In 1966, McGee was inducted into the Ottawa Sports Hall of Fame. Upon his induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame, so long after his death, the Ottawa Citizen wrote, quote, Frank McGee is another who is hardly known to present-day fans. McGee was a two-way player in the days when only offensive play was stressed. He had a powerful shot, was a brainy player, and his scoring feats are still listed in the books. End quote. Upon McGee's death, one hockey writer would state the following of him, and I will end the episode with it. It was stated, quote, There never was a player who could nurse the puck up the center of the ice and pass the defense like he could, and there never was a player who could take a pass in front and shoot the rubber into the net like Frank McGee. And last but not least, there was never a player who was willing to help his club out as he was. Frank McGee was the greatest of them all, and he was a fine fellow, and he will never be forgotten. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Frank McGee. Next week, we're going to look at Bullet Joe Simpson. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Hockey Hall of Fame, Wikipedia, Winnipeg Tribune, Ottawa Citizen, Montreal Gazette, NHL.com, and the Ottawa Journal. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.